mind that the Lord of all the earth would care to know my name, would care to feel my hurt. Who am I? Welcome to Who Am I? with Pastor Greg Tyra of Harvest Chapel in Williamsport, Indiana. We're glad you could join us as we teach through the Bible, chapter by chapter, verse by verse. Today's lesson is one in which we know you'll be enlightened to the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's listen in to Pastor Greg as we launch today's lesson on Who Am I? Turn in your Bible with me to 3 John, uh, the last of the three baby Johns. We're going to uh, go through that today. Um, again, the name tells us who wrote the book. There is no real disputes about this being John who wrote it, uh, the last of the disciples, the last of the apostles. If you remember, he was cast to the island of Patmos. They could not kill him. God would not let him die. They had, I think they threw him from the pinnacle like they uh, attempted Jesus to be done, like the devil tempted him in Matthew 4. Then they couldn't kill him, so they cast him, they boiled him in oil, and he wouldn't die, so they took him to the island of Patmos, and there he writes the book of Revelation. When he returns from there, he writes, I believe, uh, the Gospel of John, and then three baby Johns, uh, one, two, and three. The date isn't exactly perfectly clear, probably between A.D. 90 and 95. Uh, this letter here, again, is a personal letter. Last week when we did Second uh, uh, John, we, we seen that it was a personal letter or possibly even what they called a circular letter where they would write a letter to the church. They wouldn't really put a name in it, and then they would pass it around the churches so the elect lady could be even down the corridors of time specifically written to you and I. This week we're going to be looking over uh, uh, Gaius's, uh, uh, or Gaius is actually the way it's pronounced, but I always pronounced it Gaius until I started to teach it today, and then I go, oh, that says uh, Gaius, uh, is how the pronunciation thing is. It's a U, uh, Gaius, so I'll try to say it properly. Uh, we're looking over his shoulder because Paul writes to a specific person, Gaius. He's commending him uh, and congratulating him over his uh, following the Holy Spirit, being led by the Holy Spirit. He's entertaining and showing hospitality to traveling preachers or visiting prophets that are sharing their faith, and he's doing a great job of that, and we will see that commendation as we get into the letter. Uh, but he also warns against another person who is there at the church, uh, um, Diatrophes, uh, and, and if I say those wrong, you guys just correct me anytime you want. Uh, uh, I know people pronounce it totally different when you hear them. And then he gives us also a commendation for Demetrius. And so it's a, a, a short letter. Uh, Second and third John are the two shortest books in um, I'm not sure which one is the shortest, but the two shortest books in the Bible. And, you know, I think the key verse is verse 11. And 
it might not be the key verse of the subject matter that we're looking at of hospitality, entertaining strangers and doing the things that we should be doing as the body of Christ to minister. But to me, it's a key verse for the content of the letter. And it says this in verse 11, Beloved, do not imitate what is evil, but what is good. He who does good is of God, but he who does evil has not seen God, has not seen God. And it's very important to understand this, and we'll talk about it a little bit more. But I think that, uh, you know, as we continue in our vein that we've been looking at, and, and not as we've been in the topicals, but I continue to hone in on the fact that true faith, true faith is faith that saves has works. Faith that saves has evidence in a life. And so if we're practicing evil still, or if we're living in evil still, or we're doing evil still, that's not evidence of someone who has seen God. When you clearly see God, we know that there's going to be the Holy Spirit come in and seal you until the day of redemption, and then you're going to have evidence of that salvation that comes with true salvation. It comes with true reconciliation to God. So let's read now over the shoulder of Gaius, his mail down the corridor of time, and I'm sure he will not mind because the Holy Spirit is instructing us through John about how to properly entertain and get, be hospitable to people who are in the ministry. The elder to the beloved Gaius, whom I love in truth. Beloved, I pray that you may prosper in all things and be healthy just as your soul prospers. For I rejoice greatly when brethren came and testified of the truth that is in you, just as you walk in the truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. Beloved, you do faithfully... Whatever you do for the brethren and for strangers who have borne witness of your love before the church, if you send them forward on their journey in a manner worthy of God, you will do well, because they went out for his name's sake, taking nothing from the Gentiles. We therefore ought to receive such that we may become fellow workers for the truth. I wrote to the church, but Diotrephus, tri Diotrephus, who loves to have the preeminence among them, does not receive us. Therefore, if I come, I will call to mind his deeds, which he does, prating against us with malicious words. And not content with that, he himself does not receive the brethren and forbids those who wish to, putting them out of the church. Beloved, do not imitate what is evil, but what is good." He who does good is of God, but he who does evil has not seen God. Demetrius has a good testimony from all and from the truth itself, and we also bear witness, and you know that our testimony is true. I had many things to write, but I do not wish to write to you with pen and ink, but I hope to see you shortly, and we shall speak face to face. Peace to you. Our friends greet you. Greet the friends by name. Let's pray. Father, 
We pray that you would speak to our hearts concerning this letter, uh, knowing the importance of it being canonized into 66 books, Lord. We know that you have a word for us through it. So plow our hearts up, Lord, and help us to receive with meekness the implanted word as a seed and let it grow there and produce uh, some 30, some 60, 100-fold, Lord. Help it to grow in our hearts and help us to go and do what you've called us to do. We give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's look back um, again, verse 1. The elder, the presbyteros, the elder John, John meaning uh, grace or the grace of God. He's the elder in age. He would be older than most. I don't know what his age is now. He's writing from modern day uh, Turkey. He's writing uh, from Ephesus where he is the uh, pastor there at this time. And uh, But he's also an elder in the fact that he would be an elder or the only apostle left in the church. So we see that both fit, but I think he's not... He's not calling out that he's an elder as the only apostle. He's calling out just that he's the elder. Uh, and in the church, there's authority. We talked about this last week. Authority should be given. Respect should be given to those that are older in the faith. It should be given to those who have walked it out. We should understand authority. Some of the things that are going on in our world today, in the church today, uh, is because of the fact that everybody wants to start their own church and they don't come underneath the authority of the elders. They don't come underneath the authority of the age, those that would hand it back to them. The Bible clearly defines that women, older women are supposed to teach younger women. This is how discipleship works. It's how we've got the gospel is that men of God give it to other men of God. And it's the same thing. Uh, today it should be true, that, but we actually say, you're not the boss of me. And it's the days of judges that, that there's no king in the land. So everybody does what's right in their own eyes instead of coming underneath the authority that God has ordained in the church and then letting somebody speak into our lives and, and train us in the way that we're supposed to go. That's what children do. That's what God does. That's why there's a command in the Bible that parents are supposed to train children in the way that they're supposed to go. And when they're older, they will not depart therefrom. And so it's the same thing as we become children of God. When we become children of God, then God has put rules and, and, and regulations and things in place that help train us in how to love. It helps train us in how to see evidence of true salvation. It helps train us in how to go and do the work of the ministry, and then it helps sanctify our hearts. See, because per perfectly and or perfectly, we are positionally sanctified when you believe. And if you truly are a child of God, positionally, it's finished. But practically, we still need to have our hearts retrained, they consecrated, set apart, and, and the power of sin taken as we learn not to practice sin. See, it's really simple. We've talked about this over and over and over. In, in, in salvation, when you believe, the, the, the penalty for sin has been taken. The power has been taken, but you have to learn to walk in the Holy Spirit. And as the Holy Spirit leads you, you're never going to give in to the power of sin. So it's actually there, but you're learning. 
As you surrender to the work of the Holy Spirit, and as many as are led by the Spirit, these are the children of God, being trained by God, following God, in the way with God, doing the work of God for the glory of God, then the power of sin no longer has any influence over you because you already know that that's bad. So you don't want to follow it. And then at the same time, your heart and mind and your will is being retrained to follow God instead of follow the world or self or Satan. And so it's something that we have to make a conscious decision to talk to God about and to the Holy Spirit about. And you beat your body. Paul says, beat your body into subjection. Is that work or not? It's not for salvation. It's because we're saved. You begin to beat your body into this objection to obey what God's word says. Everybody, oh, no, I said a prayer. I'm good. Then why do we have all the rest of the instruction for? Why didn't God just take us home? Listen, we got to quit walking and deception and living as false converts, thinking that just a prayer is enough. There's so much more going on. And deception is afoot. The devil has sent out his antichrist, the spirit of antichrist. God has allowed it to test your hearts. So the elder... And again, those that are older in the faith should be walking it out, being examples, being good witnesses in front of people. And we're going to see one commended. We're going to see one that is actually mentioned that is a bad witness, that there is not the evidence of, of eternal salvation. It doesn't mean that he is kicked out of heaven and he can't be saved because when somebody hears this, like that, that he's not doing the right thing, the true salvation is, is do you turn? When the Word of God confronts you and you see that you're not doing what the Word of God says, the question is, is do you listen to God and turn? My sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. So when you see it, do you turn? Metanoia. Do you repent? Do you go the other way? Do you change your mind or do you just hear it? and then walk away and keep doing what you're doing and think you're okay. Makes no sense if you hear the conviction of the Holy Spirit to ignore it. Today, if you will hear my voice, God would say, and do not harden your heart as they did in the day of rebellion in the wilderness, where God was not well pleased with them, but they were left dead in the wilderness. All of those under 20 years of age, because they rebelled, they would not believe. They went astray in their heart. Because they heard the word, but they did not mix it with faith, Hebrews tells us. They didn't mix it with doing and going and believing and trusting and stepping out on the water. All they did was heard. And they said, wow, that's a good message. That's a good word. God knows what he's talking about, doesn't he? And then they go away and deceive themselves. Because if you do not become a doer, you're deceiving yourself. That means someone who practices righteousness, practices. You have to practice. See, we practice sin all of our life. We practice. We got good at it. It's stuck in. It's there. We're in that rut. But God delivers us out. And he sets our feet on a rock. And he says, now begin to practice righteousness. Follow me. And I'll train your heart to follow righteousness. 
So when you hit the wrong nail with the hammer, you don't automatically cuss. You hit the wrong nail with the hammer and you go, wow, thank you, Jesus. Because it's a chance to proclaim Jesus when things go wrong. Any time in life, it might be worse than the nail. I'm using something that's facetious. Listen, it could be something that's horrible that happens. And we say, wow, we got to trust you, Lord. We know you're in this and that you're giving us this battle on purpose so that we can learn to trust you. This storm is here so we can trust you. This storm is here because you're going to get us to the other side. We're in the boat. We're in the fellowship. And he's promised to get us to the other side. He loves you. You can trust him. But you have to follow him. You have to follow him. You have to be in the way with him. You can't say, I'm in the fellowship, I'm in the boat, I'm going to the other side, and you're over here playing in the mud puddle, waiting around, doing your own thing. You have to stay in the boat. You remember Paul going to, to Rome? And the men were trying to escape off the boat. They're, they're lowering down the skiff. They're going to get off the boat. And he says, no, God has given me everybody on the boat, but you have to stay in the boat. If you get off the boat, all bets are off. You got to stay in the boat. You got to stay in the fellowship. You can't do your own thing. You need to be in the word, prayer, and fellowship. You need to be asking God, asking the Holy Spirit, what's going on? What are we doing? There's a, there's a, there's the spirit there that is leading you, but there's another spirit Spirit of Antichrist that wants to draw you away and entice you to stumble and to keep living just like you always did, but to think that you're fine. It's called deception. Deception. And once again, the best name for an old dog is a young dog. Oh, yeah. The best name for a young dog is an old dog. What are you talking about now, Greg? I'm talking about the older people in the church training the younger people, but the younger people got to listen, and the old people got to be stirred up by the younger people. When somebody's listening, you're going to see it in a minute, there's nothing better than to see a child in the faith, to see somebody else running a race, and they're doing good, and you're going, boy, I remember when I used to run like that, but I'm getting old. It spurs you on. But are you really running a race? Or are you just living in cultural Christianity the way that it's designed in America in 2022? It's designed to deceive you. Because it's always been about a personal relationship where you get in the Word of God, you spend time with God, and you obey God, and then you take what God is showing you and you bring it back to the body of Christ, the body of God, and we work it together so that we can go out and be a perfect witness to other people of what God has told us to do. And then when they see our love for one another, they become thirsty. They desire to be part of that, and they want to give their life to Christ. The question is, is are you involved in the body of Christ? Have you made a commitment? And has the Holy Spirit come in? And then what has he told you to do? And are you obeying what he's told you to do? So he's writing to the elder, John, to the beloved Gaius, whom I love in truth. And you can look at that many ways. Gaius is a common name in Rome in those days. Um, 
And he says he loves him in truth. It's unconditional love. And it's in truth. And what is truth? Remember, we talked about this last week. Jesus is truth. John 14, 6. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through the Son. Listen, truth is a person. And so John is in Christ, and because he's in Christ and Gaius is in Christ, then he loves him unconditionally. He meets him where he's at. He wants to spur him on to love and good works. He knows there's kinks in his armor. He knows there's problems going on. He knows he's not perfect because he knows the gospel, that we're all born in sin. We're all fighting a war. We're all running a race. We're all works in progress. His poema, his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works that we should walk in them. Michael pointed out last week when I was talking about peripateo, it's in the text. He said, it also means what you're occupied with. And that's a good question. When you look at your life, what are you occupied with in life today? My pastor used to say, what's your master passion? What's your master passion? No matter what, I'm getting to that cup of coffee. No matter what, I'm going to get to that Jeopardy show. No matter what, I'm going to get to my, I don't know what it is on your iPhone. What's your master passion that you move for? See, that's your God. What you're occupied with tells us about God. It's your witness. It's your testimony. It's what your heart is wrapped up in. It's what your soul is pursuing. That's your God. And if it's not the God of the Bible, the God of the universe, doing the work of the ministry for God because he bought you with his blood, then it's idolatry. That's just simplicity. We're not our own anymore. We've been bought by a price, the precious blood of Jesus. And he's come in and sealed us and desires to sanctify us and cleanse us with the washing of the water through the word that later he can present us to himself a spotless and clean bride without wrinkle or any such thing and he will because the bible promises in philippians 1 8 that i will complete the work i started in you until the day of christ jesus until the day that he sees christ jesus in us he'll complete it so he says he loves him in truth now listen listen we're going to see the character of Gaius, and so there's good reason. Man, Gaius is doing it. Gaius is running the race. Gaius is living by faith. I love him. But see, now, if you turn around and you see somebody that's not doing it, can you still love them? Can you still love them and pray for them and write them a letter? There's one that's here in this text that's not doing what he should be doing. And he doesn't say anathema to him. He doesn't say, I'm going to come down there and smash his head. He says, I'm going to come down there and remind him of his deeds. So he's going to spur him on to repent. And we'll see in a minute that, that, that the words that are used for diotrophies, uh, diotrophies, I think is how it's said. I keep trying to get that in my brain, how it's said. Uh, diotrophies, that, that the that the words that are used is he's not intrinsically evil, but his effect and his influence of how he's living his Christian life is evil. See, intrinsically, 
intrinsically is different because now you're evil intrinsically, your character, your nature. And there's different words used in the Bible. But you can be, you can be someone who still needs to be saved or is saved and is being worked on. And some of the things you're doing can affect others and influence them wrong and not really be helping them to grow and it be evil, but you don't mean for it to be evil. You're just being a lazy Christian. Or then there's another word for evil that's used for the devil and used for people that are intrinsically. It's their character. It's what they're doing. They know what they're doing, and they're purposely doing it. So that's why he says he's going to remind him, put to remembrance the deeds that he's doing, and call him out. But I digress because I get ahead of myself. But he's saying, and beloved, I don't know how many times he uses beloved, four or five times. He uses truth four or five times. Maybe we can count them. Beloved is in verse 1. Beloved is in verse 2. Beloved is in verse 5. There's three, isn't it? It's an interesting word, too. Beloved. I think he uses it four times. It's agapateos. Uh, it's, it's a derivative of, of, of agape. In the King James, it's, it's actually translated well-beloved. So that even makes it more. Instead of just beloved, it's well-beloved. Agapateus. I don't even know how to pronounce it. Dearly beloved, esteemed. It's a favorite, too. My wife is God's favorite, so here uh, Gaius is uh, John's favorite. So he says he loves him in truth. Can you love people in truth because of what God's doing in you? See, again, I can, and I continue to remind you, listen to me. When somebody's doing something wrong or somebody's not perfect, if they're pursuing God, then God's going to change them. And all you do is pray about it. You begin to pray about it when God shows you something, a kink in somebody's arm or something that's messed up in their life. And you go, wow, why are they doing that? Let me start praying for them. And you begin to pray because you love them. You pray for them, and then you allow God to change it in their life. You allow God to do the work. You know why? Because then you can say, praise the Lord. God just answered my prayer. I know he's answering prayers. I know he heard my prayer. I get to see the work of God. Meanwhile, what do you do? You be like God. You give him grace. You give him mercy. You forgive them. And you be a better witness in front of them. Because we're all trophies of grace that are saved by grace. And we all have issues There's none that does not, but we're all supposed to be looking for God to complete the work in us until the day of Christ Jesus. Verse 2, beloved again, he says, and the King James says, I wish, but if you look the word up in the Greek, it means to pray. It means to ask God. Uh, so 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 in the New King James, I like it saying, I pray, especially the connotation that we have today with wishing. It's a much different word today than it was then. So it's better to say uh, 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 that he's praying and that you're, he says, I pray. Are you praying for people? Well, they're doing good. I don't need to pray for them. No, are you praying for people? See, the first thing that God gives us to do in the kingdom of God, and anybody can do it, and no matter how old you are, no matter how handicapped, or no matter what you think, I don't have an education, I don't have this, I don't have that, you know, no matter what excuse you have, you have no excuse not to pray. 
And God says, my house should be a house of prayer. And there is absolutely no excuse not to pray other than stubborn hard-heartedness. And God puts people in our lives what we should be praying for. I mean, if we're concerned, listen, let me, let me let's, let's digress. Let me back up. Are we concerned about souls? Ours own first and then others? Because if we're not, there's a question whether we're even saved because salvation is about saving souls. Yours first, and then God says, go. Well, go and do what, God? Make disciples. Teach them what you're learning. Baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Help them to be identified with the body of Christ. Teach them all that I commanded you. If you love me, keep my commandments. And then he promises Lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. He's here. He loves us. He's not mad at us. He's not even even trying to shame us if we're not. He's reminding us of what we're supposed to be doing, what our deeds are supposed to look like, what our witness is supposed to look like. He's not going, shame on you, Christian. You're just bad. You haven't been doing it. No, he's going, listen, this is why I called you. This is what I'm reminding you of. Even in this letter, John's not saying, I'm going to come down and put a strap on diatrophies or whatever you pronounce his name. Let's call him Bill. I'm getting tired of that word when i get a word that doesn't work right i get tired of it really quick but he's not talking about strapping him he's not talking about kicking him out of heaven kicking him out of the church he's not talking about doing anything except reminding him to remember who he's committed to Listen, it's not about you standing before the pastor one day we're going to stand before almighty god And he's going to judge the works that were committed in the body. He's going to judge the way you lived your Christian life. He is going to look at you with that perfect love. And that glory, oh my goodness. So are you, are you concerned about souls? Or does the devil have you stuck in self and sin and Satan? Everything's about me. We're getting ready to see diatrophies and diatrophies, whatever his name is. I don't know why I can't pronounce that, but that happens sometimes. I used to be like that with, with uh, the word covet or covetousness. I couldn't get it out. But see, when you practice, you begin to learn how to do it. When you practice, you don't give up on it. It's the same thing with righteousness. Man, I know I want to do this, but I keep doing this. Well, you don't stop. You keep practicing, trying to hit the mark. You keep saying, Holy Spirit, help me hit the mark. I'm tired of missing the mark. That's what, see, perfect positional salvation is Christ already did it for us. Practical salvation is that we're learning to let the power. No, the power's been taken. The power's gone. I'm going to listen to the power of the Holy Spirit, and I'm going to learn to hit the mark. I'm not going to keep yelling out the cuss word when I hit the wrong nail with the hammer. I'm going to learn not to do that, but I have to desire it. So I have to draw near to God. There's this practical application going on in our life where you're learning to walk away from the power of sin that leads to death and walk in the Spirit for the Spirit to do the work of God so that when you do, you will not cry out the same way. 
You don't want to keep getting the same results. You don't have to get the same results. We've been set free from the penalty. Now he's setting us free from the power. One day he will take us out of the presence of sin and into heaven, a new heaven and a new earth. It's a race, but are you running it? Are you setting idly by as others run? You know, it's really easy. It's really easy to sit in a chair idly by and watch somebody do something and go, that's not right. At least they're up on their feet doing something, trying to practice righteousness just to sit around and talk about them. You're not even out of your seat. I remember when I was, oh my goodness, years ago, this has been, oh. I was in prison, and I was reading on the back of a Reader's Digest book, and, the, and, and, the, and it was, it was a, a mother and a daughter leaving church. And the mother says, would you look at them? They're not even a block away from church, and they're already smoking cigarettes. And the daughter said, you're not even as far as they are, and you're already judging what they're doing. And that's, that's a pretty big rebuke. See, there's people doing stuff in the body of Christ and they're trying to hit the mark and other people are just sitting on their duffs and they're not even trying to hit a mark. But they'll talk about the ones that are up doing the work. They'll talk about the ones trying to help others grow. And this is all a practice. What your gift is, what part of the body is, you learn to allow the Holy Spirit to use you, to use your gift, and you begin to practice and you get better at it. You hone your skill, or we, as they say, uh, your craft. It used to be okay to say that, but now it's so ugly because you turn on your TV, and that's all it's about is witchcraft. It's all it's about is blood and gore, and we're okay to watch vampires. We're okay to watch werewolves. We're okay to watch all this evil and then say, I'm a Christian. Really? We need to wake up. We need to wake up in Christendom because whatever goes in your eyes and in your heart, that's what you're being entertained with. That's what you're participating with. That's what you're doing in life. We need to wake up. We're being deceived. And I pray as John prays for Gaius. I pray for your souls. Because listen to me. Listen, well, let's just look over at it. It's our memory verse this week. It's, it's Galatians 6. Galatians 6, 6. Let him who is taught the word share in all good things with him who teaches. Teaches is a gift. So is everything else you have. And then our scripture, 6, 7, do not be deceived. Planeo, do not be caused, do not be seduced. Do not be caused to roam. God is not mocked for whatever a man sows that he will also reap. For he who sows to his flesh will of the flesh reap corruption or death. But the, he who sows to the spirit will of the spirit reap everlasting life. And let us not grow weary while we are doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not lose heart. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all, and especially to those of the household of faith. 
especially to those of the household of faith. Listen to me. If you want to reap a good testimony, as we're getting ready to see the, uh, uh, John commend Gaius, Listen, if you want to reap a good testimony, if you want to reap and have a good witness, then you have to plant the right thing. You have to desire to do the right thing. You have to ask the Holy Spirit to lead you in the right thing. And he's praying, but what's he praying for him? What is he praying? Here's an amazing thing, because we go back to the seed that was planted. We go back to the one who died for us all. Unless Christ dies and raises again, we can't even grow. Look what he says. He says, I pray that you may prosper in all things. How much is all? Get a calculator. And then he says, and be in health just as your soul prospers. Now listen. Because our souls, if we believe in Jesus, and Gaius does, we can tell by his evidence, it's perfect. It's prospered perfectly. It's reaped all the righteousness of Christ Jesus because Christ died and raised again, and he believes that. So we have this testimony. Now Paul's praying that his health, that his body, soul, and spirit would all prosper the same way, and that he would reap what he's sowing, and he's sowing to the good. That's why I took you to this text. Look what he's praying, that he, you may prosper, and it may, here it is, to help on the road. That's what it means, to help on the road. As you're running this race, that you may have help on the road, or it means to succeed in reaching. In other words, get to the finish line, that you may prosper in your body, in your soul, in your spirit completely, prosper on your journey. And he says it is above all things. Look, I pray that you may prosper in all things, all things, and be in health just as your soul prospers. Is your soul prospering today? Do you believe in Jesus today? Soul there is your, your, your spirit that's married to God, sealed Look at 1 Thessalonians. I know you guys say, oh, well, we've already looked at these. Let's look at them again. We're going to look at the same scriptures all the time because a personal relationship has to be just that. But when you shine light in the darkness, it's uh, 523 of 1 Thessalonians. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. What does that mean? And may your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful who will also do it. Now, we've had that as a memory verse, too, and you guys probably should know that if you've memorized the Scripture. Listen to me. God's not just going to prosper your soul. That's positional salvation. And so John knows that. John sees his child in the faith growing, and he says, I pray that you would also prosper not just, not just prosper in your walk with God, but in your health as your soul has prospered. And Christ did that perfectly. He saved us perfectly, positionally, perfectly. Are you looking to be sanctified? How is your health? Just as your soul prospers. Now, listen to me, because John's doing something kind of, he's, he's being used by the Holy Spirit, but he's doing something kind of stealthily, and he's addressing the Gnostics. 
Anytime you see this in the scriptures, they're addressing the Gnostics. When they're talking about your health, they're talking about your body, they're talking about your flesh. See, the Gnostics, remember that's the, the word uh, gnosko, it's the word that, 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 that uh, means knowledge, it's one of our words for knowledge. And the Gnostics come around and they had all this special knowledge that they would give to people. And, and they were telling them that, listen, don't even worry about your body. Don't worry about your flesh. You ain't got to worry about that because flesh is evil and your spirit is what's being saved. So you can do what you want in the flesh. You can live any way you want. Don't judge me, man. I get to do what I want. My soul's already saved. I'm already saved. I said a prayer. See, it's, it's no different than the spirit of the church today that thinks that it can practice anything it wants, throw a Christian label on it, and they're still doing it, but I'm already saved because I said a prayer. It's the same as Gnosticism. So he's addressing it, and he's saying that he wants your whole body, soul, and spirit, everything about you, even your health to prosper just as your soul prospers. But he's secretly kind of like addressing Somebody who would say that the flesh is evil, don't worry about it. You don't have to deal with it. Listen, I think it's very important to take care of your body. It's very important to take care of your soul. It's very important to believe in Jesus. But if you don't believe in Jesus first, none of the rest of it's going to matter. See, if the devil can't get you spiritually, he'll get you through your body. Think about it. If you can't get out of your house, you can't get nowhere. You can't do nothing. You can still pray, but you're trapped in your house because of your health. Doesn't mean you're kicked out of heaven or anything. But if you do it because of laziness or slothfulness or because of something you're doing and you're ignoring what God wants to do with your health and everything else, then the devil can take you out of the race. He can take you out of going and witnessing to people. He can take you out of the personal part of the gospel by your very health. It's important that we deal with the whole body, soul, and spirit because it's all going to be sanctified. It's all being prospered. And I think that John, or the grace of God, really wants us to deal with that in our lives. And not haphazardly, but just as your soul prospers. Just as. You know, there are those that John praying for the rest of him after he knows that his soul is prospering. There are those that all they're concerned about is their career. All they're concerned about is going to the gym. All they're concerned about is the physical. How do people think of me? What's my, what's my title going to be? And they don't care nothing about their soul. But notice, after his soul is taken care of, John is praying for the rest of him to prosper so that you deal with all of it together, body, soul, and spirit, because we're a trichotomy. And our world today would really tell us to deal with just a dichotomy, not the soul, but just health, wealth, and prosperity. Nothing to do with the soul. That's what the world teaches. Just forget about God. Get out there and get what's yours. You're going to have to do it yourself. Suck it up by your, by your bootstraps. And he who gets the most wins. The 
Christians, we're supposed to be worried about not just the soul, but the rest of people's lives. So he prays that Gaius would prosper in all things. How do you pray for people? Do you pray for people? Do you pray that they would prosper? Or are you mad when somebody else prospers? Does it really bother you when somebody else prospers? Why are they getting it? I ain't getting it. Well, look at verse 3. John tells us more about Gaius. Why is he prospering? Why are things going right in his life? Doesn't mean things won't go wrong. It doesn't mean things won't go bad. But he's given us some evidence of a good witness. For I rejoiced greatly when brethren came and testified of the truth that is in you just as you walk in the truth. Proverbs 27, 2. Let another man praise you and not your own mouth, a stranger and not your own lips. Listen, don't boast about yourself. It's very important what others say of you. Listen to what they're saying about Gaius. What kind of a testimony would people, you know, if, if, if John, the grace of God right now, was writing a letter about your salvation, about your life, this is important because one day it's going to happen. We're going to stand before Almighty God. The grace of God is God's riches at Christ's expense. We're going to stand before Him as judge. He came to save the first time. He's coming back to judge. And if he wrote a letter right now, what would he say about your faith? What would be the witness? What would be the evidence? What would be the testimony? This is not to shame. This is not to play. This is to get right with God and say, wait a minute, let's shake this out. If people were writing a letter about me that had authority and they were my elder, what would they say? People ask me all the time to write them letters. You know what I tell them? I don't write letters. God's a big God. He can take care of you. Like the rivers of water, he moves every man's heart. Write me a letter to the judge. Will you write me a letter of recommendation for this job? Will you write me this? Nope. I'll pray for you, though. I'll pray that you prosper and you get what you're supposed to get. I ain't going to write you no letter, though. Won't do it. Won't start it. Because if you start it, then everybody wants one. And then if you write one for one person, then you got to say, well, the reason I wrote for them was because, and I'm not going to write for you because. Listen, God commends us. God's the one that should commend this. Now, I'm not saying there's anything wrong. If you want to write letters, you write letters. I'm not writing letters. I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to pray for you. I've seen way too many pastors go up in the courtroom and sit on the jury and the witness stand and testify of what somebody is and what they've done and how they give their life to Jesus in jail. And those people living like straight up heathens in jail. And they come out in a 20-minute visit on a phone and talk to a pastor. Oh, I love Jesus. And living just like everybody else, you know, it, it, there's just no way I'm going to do it. But I've seen a lot of pastors taken to the woodshed, taken to task over it. It's a terrible witness for the church to just say everybody that says a prayer is a witness. But now we're going to see somebody, brethren are saying it of, of Gaius, and they're not just saying it, you know, oh, but they're saying it to others. They're testifying of it to another person. How's Gaius doing? Oh, man, you should see him. What do people say about your faith? 
And this word is used a bunch, and I could say this is the theme of the actual uh, of the book if you really looked at it. Uh, the word uh, uh, testified is martyreo, martyreo. If I'm saying it wrong, I'm saying it wrong because I'm not a Greek scholar. But it's from the word martis. Remember the word martis where we had it in Acts 1.8 where we're talking about the Holy Spirit and Acts 1.8 says, but you shall be witnesses to me. When the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you shall be witnesses to me. Listen, so he's living in the Spirit. Martyria is a witness that's being happening. Martis is the Greek word where we get the word martyr from, one who dies for their faith, one who's dead to their sin, self, and Satan, and they're starting to follow the Holy Spirit, be led by the Spirit, walk in the Spirit, used by the Spirit, looking to be used for the kingdom of God to save souls with God because they're on commission with God. But this word is used like five times in this text. In the Greek, you don't see it in the Greek, though. Testified and witness and witness. It's, it's different. different. It's, it's testified differently. Excuse me. It's written down differently in the English. They came and martyred of the truth that is in you. Listen to me. This is very important stuff because we're going to get to the throne room. And I know we're saved by grace. Listen, you're not saved by works. But if you're saved by grace, grace that saves works. Faith without works is dead faith, James says. It's dead. It's demonic faith. And the works don't have to look like a bunch of dust. Or a bunch of salvation. But it has to be a surrender to the work of the Spirit. There needs to be a character that is changing. That's the real work God wants to do. Is in the sanctification of you. But during the process of sanctification of you and your soul. How does that happen? When you obey. When you hear the word and you obey. So you go and do the work of the ministry. And as you obey, he's sanctifying you because your faith is growing. Because you're believing and trusting. And that grows your faith. As it changes you. Peter couldn't walk on water unless he put his feet out of the boat. Well, he sank. Yeah, but he grew. I guarantee you he grew. Because if you walk on water... And you touch the power of God like that, you think that's going to grow you? Man, I got my eyes back over there. But boy, when I was walking on the water, I was crazy. When I was focused on Jesus, I was standing on water. You don't think that grew his faith, did he? Yeah, but then, Greg, he stumbled. Yeah, he sure did, didn't he? He sank then. He lied three times before the rooster crowed, denied him. But then what did he do? He stood up on, he's growing. He's growing. This growing is, is, is fighting with your flesh. It's beating it into subjection. It's part of the whole process of sanctification practically. After you're positionally set free from the penalty, after you're set free from the power, now you have to start walking in his power and quit walking in the power of sin. Quit giving it ahead. He has no power over you. So what's he do? He stands up on the day of Pentecost and gives the first sermon eloquently, quoting Scripture, and 3,000 people get saved. He was practicing. Are you practicing righteousness? 
So they came in Martyreo. They gave witness. They gave evidence. They testified of the truth that was in Gaius. Oh, Gaius means, I never did tell you guys what Gaius means, did I? Lord. Little L, Lord. Little L. See, he's the big L. We're little L's. They came and testified. And they knew it was because of Jesus in him, the truth in him. And just as you walk in the truth, the walk again is our practicing. It's the peripateo. It's what you're occupied with. It's your general walk. It's as you tread all about. It's what you're doing in life. It's what your master passion is. Your walk is how you're living. Just as you walk in the truth. Are you walking in the truth? Are you living in the truth? Are you getting into the truth, the word of God, the written word of God every day? Are you practicing being led by the spirit of truth? Do you care to learn truth? Ah, I just like my lies. That might be true for you, but I, I, that's not true for me, pastor. Listen, there's only one truth. We can both be wrong, but there's only one truth. He's a person. We can both be wrong. Listen, we can go to a room with thousands of people in it. Every person in the room can be wrong, but everybody can't be right unless they're following Jesus. That's the only way to be right. Oh, there's no absolutes. That might be truth for you, Pastor, but it's not truth for me. You might say that it's not truth for you, but it's true. Wait till we get to eternity and we get to the judgment seat. It's still going to be true. Whether you want to have anything to do with it right now or not, it's still true. Truth is truth. He's a person. There's one example. There's one name under heaven and earth by which men can be saved. There's one truth, and it's Jesus. And it would do us well if we're going to call ourselves Christians to listen and obey. Why do you call me Lord and you don't do the things that I do? It's hard stuff sometimes, but you know what? It's in the hard wilderness area that we grow the best. Up on the mountaintop, eh, really nice and sweet up there. When you start digging in and learning what's going on in the Bible, that's where you grow at if you apply it to your life. Are you walking in truth? Are you searching for truth? Are you looking for truth? Are you having a relationship with truth? Do you care about truth? Very important to understand. What, are you, what is your passion about anymore? What is your desires about? Is it about souls? Only way to win souls is with truth. For I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. Now think about that. Let's look at it physically first if you have children, if you have kids. Don't you want them to do the right thing? My goodness, I'm tired of spanking you. Oh, you guys don't yell at your kids, do you? I'm tired of telling you. Listen, rebellion is born. Everybody's born with a sin nature. Kids are going to be rebellious. That's why it's really good is if you read the Bible to them as soon as they are conceived in the womb. Begin to read the Bible to them in the womb. They can hear you. It sounds like because they're in water. Never mind. Listen to me. 
practice it while they're in the womb, and when they come out, you'll still be doing it. You have already got the practice down. I don't know what they hear, but I know through watching people adopt children that most of this stuff is formed in the womb. I'm telling you. I know the educators will say, oh, it's in the first seven years or something. No, it's really early. It's genetics. It's DNA. It's the chaos that they're around while they're in the womb that sets a lot of things and patterns for life. So your children, no greater joy than to see your children, you know, whatever they're doing, they're playing baseball, they hit a home run. That's more joy than them striking out, even though you still have joy. You go, good job, you played the game. But boy, when they're the star, think about it. You want your children to be doing the right thing. They're getting it. No, two plus two is not six, it's four. And they're getting it. And you're like, yes. And it gives you joy when you see them. It's just just something that's natural. And we get that from God because God died so that his children would become like him. And he did everything possible so that we could become like him. So God has great joy when he sees us doing the right thing. That's why he put us in a positional place where every time he looks at you and every time he looks at me, he sees his son in perfection. So now we can be set apart. That penalty is gone. Practically, we know that we are in a place of perfection with God and we don't have to feel shame and we don't have to feel these things that we felt before. But now we can be set free to learn how to follow righteousness by the power of the Holy Spirit. And here's the instruction book. And here's the the, the rest of the people that's encouraging one another, the whole body of Christ. But when you see your children physically, think about spiritually. And see, we're seeing, see, there's some other Gaiuses in the Bible, one with Paul. There's one over in Romans. There's these other guys. It's a common name. Someone said that it's like one of the top 18 names of the time. So we don't know that any of the other ones have anything to do with this guy. And I don't see anywhere where the other guys, other Gaiuses in the Bible have anything to do with being a child of John's a spiritual child of John's. I don't believe it means physical, even though this word can be used as its offspring. It can be physical, near or far. But I believe it's one of his spiritual children, and he's saying it gives him no greater joy than to hear, to hear the witness, to hear the testimony, to hear the cheers of other people saying, you know, and and, and you may be unsolicited. Man, you should see Gaius. He's over there, and we don't even know what town he's in. Caius is, man, he is, he is hitting on all cylinders over there, John. Really? You mean Gaius, the one that lived over by, and that's my son in the faith. I led him to the Lord. And it gives you great joy, and it spurs you on when you see other people living the gospel. But if you're separated, then the, then, the, then the devil can isolate you and decimate you. You don't even see the testimony of what's going on if you're not in fellowship, if you're not being part of the body, if you're not looking to save souls, you're never going to see souls saved to be encouraged. But it has to be what's on your heart. What is your master passion? What are you crying out for? What are you asking God to do with you? Are you concerned about your own sanctification? Because if you are, as you get concerned about other souls, he'll sanctify you while you're doing it. 
as you're walking it out by faith, as you're stepping out of the boat onto the water, he is sanctifying you because you're following, you're obeying, you're listening to what he does to sharpen you. No greater joy than to see your children walk in truth. Breaks your heart when you see them not doing it. Breaks your heart when you see that their peripateo, what they're occupied with is lies and deception and evil. It breaks your heart. I mean, all you got to do is look at the opposite. But now we're talking about somebody who is being commended for doing the right thing. Walking in truth. Blesses your heart. Five. Beloved, you do faithfully whatever you do for the brethren and for strangers. That's the testimony. Beloved. Well beloved. You do faithfully. Now listen, nobody can do it faithfully unless it's the Spirit of God because faithfulness is a fruit of the Spirit. Love, it looks like joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. So if he's doing faithfully, he's do, it's the word pistos. Uh, it's trustworthy. He's, it's a word for believing even. Uh, he's, he's walking in the truth. He's doing it faithfully. And he's doing it not just for brethren, but also for strangers. He's showing hospitality. This is the testimony coming back to the grace of God, to John, uh, where John's at in Ephesus, is that when people are sent to uh, 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 where Gaius is at, that Gaius is always there to help them navigate the area, be introduced to the area. Say it's a traveling preacher, which is really what these are talking about. Somebody comes and, and, and they want to preach, they want to bring a word because you would always let those people when they were visiting speak and Gaius is putting them up. Gaius is taking care of them. He's putting them in his house. He's feeding them. He's, he's taking care of them, making sure that they are comfortable and they're not out there where people can get to them and hurt them. And then when he sends them on, he actually says it in 6, and who have borne witness, uh, that's the matatoreo, of your love before the church, if you send them forward on their journey in a manner worthy of God, you do well. So then when they send them forward, they actually said they had a practice where they would actually go with them for a ways because of highwaymen, because of murderers and robbers and vagabonds and people, that they would go with them because they have a lot more resources and they would help them get away from the city safely. Because think about it, how many times was Paul and them beaten for preaching gospel in this city? Some people could be mad at them, but when you show hospitality, you don't just reach out and go, oh yeah, I'll give them a bowl of soup. No, you become part of it with them, fellow workers with them. They might be preaching, but you're part of what they're doing because you're providing resources to keep them safe and help them to do it. I get a little excited. I'm sorry, but this is how the body of Christ works. Not everybody is the preacher. Not everybody is the one that's going to be sharing the word of God, but everybody's involved in it in a big way, and it has to be done the way God says it, or it becomes religion. It becomes a burden. It becomes something like, I'm not doing that for him. I'm not going to do that for them. I want to have, listen, we're going to see him in a minute, Diotrophies, uh, but Billy Fred, what's his name? Um, he wants the preeminence. He's worried about who is first. 
Sound like anything else? Whoever gets the most toys wins. Sounds like anything else? Selfishness. I'm always, everything has to be with what I'm doing. How does it affect me, Greg? Instead of Christ getting the preeminence. So the testimony comes later of somebody that's not doing it the way that they're supposed to be doing it faithfully. You know, that's all that God asks you to do is be faithful. He doesn't ask you to be tall, smart, look any particular way. Just be faithful to the truth that you know. To be faithful to the gospel you've been given. To be faithful to go where you've been told to go. To be faithful to do what he's asking you to do. You don't have to be really good at it to show up. You can even be wrong in what you say sometimes. And God still uses it because of your faithfulness. I'm telling you the truth. He ain't looking for perfection. He's looking to perfect you. And he does that as you're faithful to go. If you don't go, you stay in the you never grow if you don't step out you're not going to learn to trust it's not as important what you say it's important whether you're trying to be faithful to God or not to walk in that to be constant in trusting him he knows what he's doing so whatever you do for the brethren, especially the household of faith, I read that over in Galatians 6, he also did it for strangers. And that would assume that people were sending letters. This is the way it was done. There was letters of accommodation that would go um, in these days because so many liars were out there. So they would actually show up and they would have papers. They would have something that would say, hey, Paul from over, you know, in Tarsus said that, you know, I was trustworthy. And, and they would have to do that. They would have to do that. Now you and I are supposed to be able to do that because we have the Spirit. We have 66 books. We should be able to know whether somebody is saying it right or saying it wrong. Remember last week, don't give hospitality to the false preachers. But you need to know whether there's a, a, a true preacher it's okay to don't even enter in, don't even enter into the evil of a false preacher. Don't even don't even remember he said that last week we talked about it when he was writing about the false teachers and he said uh, he said it's in the Bible. Here it is. Um, for he who greets him shares in his evil deeds. Don't even greet him when he comes. The false teachers. So there's different ways to treat different traveling preachers. And here he's saying that he's taking care of the brethren, people that he knows, hospitality. Here comes another circuit preacher. He's a stranger, but he's got letters of accommodations with names on him. So he says, okay, I'm going to I'm going to take care of him, too. If he turns out to be a false teacher, I'm not going to entertain him next time. Uh, who have borne witness, Martyreo, of the love of your love before the church. You know what the church is? Listen, this is a really good word for you. Church is ecclesia. It's the ecclesia. And it means the called out ones. The called out ones. See, today the church is still in the world. Today the church says, don't judge me, man. I can do what I want. I said a prayer. No, no, the church is the called out ones. The bride is called out of the world to go to a dead and dying world, to be the body of Christ, to be witnesses. We shouldn't look like the world. We don't have to look like the world. 
We don't have to act like the world. If we understand our identity in Christ, we're the ecclesia, we're the called out ones. Called to God. Called out of the world through the door, Jesus Christ. If you send them forward, take care of their needs, on their journey in a manner worthy of God. Wow. Do it the way God would do it? How did God do it? How did God send them out with everything they need? Provides perfectly for everything that we need to go on our journey to go and make disciples. We don't need anything. In fact, he sent his disciples. Remember, he said, don't take two shoes. Don't take two of this. Don't just go by your, just go. And if you show up and, and they receive you, let your peace rest on that house. And if they don't receive you, they don't, then dust your feet. Just go on. He says, I will provide for all of your needs according to my riches and glory by Christ Jesus. How much is all? We do not need a calculator to know that God is taking care of things if we choose to follow him. Problem is, there's all these other voices. Oh, you can't do it like that, man. This is 2022. Man, you can't listen to that guy. He's a nut. He's a Jesus freak. All he talks about is the Bible. you got to wake up and understand. you got to be educated. I'm being facetious, but this is what the voices are saying. you got to listen to these doctors. you got to listen to Big Pharma. you got to listen to these other voices. you got to listen to the world. You live in it. No, I'm called out of it. Sorry. Don't have to listen. I got one voice I'm listening for. I'm trying to articulate. I'm looking for him in everything. That's why I want to know the word of God. What does he say about this? But we keep listening to the other voices. It's easier. It's easier. And they're going to they're going to tell me how I can become important. God wants to show you how you can become eternally with him. Nothing more important to to be important about, but to know your salvation is sure and it's true and it's real. There's nothing else more important than spending hell in eternity in fire where the worm doesn't die. Come on, what's the most important thing? Free salvation to those who will believe. And he says, you treat them in a manner worthy of God. You'll do well. Why, why would you do well if you do things like Christ? Why would you do well if you did what the Word of God said? Because when you obey, you stop deceiving yourself. Verse 7, because they went out for his name's sake taking nothing from the world, taking nothing from the Gentiles. Ethnos is the word used there. Taking nothing from anybody else. Listen, you are sharing with them. Why did they go out for his namesake? Well, what's his namesake? It's It's his authority. It's his character. It's his nature. It's his will. It's because he's saving souls. And they went out to share the gospel scheme of things and to share Jesus. And they were trusting God. And you do well to enter in with the work that they're doing because it's going to be a blessing for all that's involved. 
and everybody has different gifts that are doing it, and everybody has a different opportunity. The question is, is are you listening to the voice of God? And are you throwing in and taking care of those who are on a journey to get to heaven and they're sharing the gospel on the way? That's how you have koinonia fellowship. All things in common is you get involved in it. Why? Because they went out for his name's sake. They're not out for themselves. They're not looking to get rich in it. And they're taking nothing from the Gentiles. It's a big deal. Do you think the Gentiles or people around them, and somebody that's not a Christian is trying to help somebody preach the gospel? You better be very careful. Very, very careful. I went down to when, when, when uh, 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 the younger Bush was president, and they came out with the faith-based and community initiatives. And they said, we're going to give churches money. And we were running a program called Common Grounds Construction and Common Grounds School of Discipleship. So me and two other Three other pastors went down to St. Louis and got all this secret service and all these guys running around and they're looking crazy. And there's about 4,000 of us in one room. And, and, and the first thing the guy says on the screen when he comes up, he says, you cannot preach on Uncle Sam's dollar. I stood up in the middle of the room and said, let's go then, we're leaving. And everybody else is looking at me. That's why we're here. to get. If you're going to give us money to preach, that's what we're called to do. Randy and them grabbed me and jerked me back down to the table. I said, let's go look at the arch. I don't want to hear nothing else they got to say. And all these churches started taking this money. And they were bought out. That simply, they were bought out. I don't care what anybody says. They were bought out because they had to form two lines to run their homeless shelters. You can get money, but on this side, you just take care of the homeless. On this side, you can preach the gospel. And they all began to go, woohoo, we get money. What's the point? You don't get Jesus. You don't get Jesus if you sell out to the government. You don't get Jesus if you take your resources from the world to play church. You're playing religion. You're twice the sons of hell. You have to get it from God. He will provide for all of your needs according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. In fact, Dave told one of the Secret Service guys that I thought George Bush was the Antichrist. He goes, he thinks George Bush is the Antichrist. The Secret Service guy standing up there with his earpiece. I go, shut up, dude. It was crazy. But they didn't have nothing good to say. Listen, the government is, is from Satan. Every one of them. There's only two. God's government, his authority, his name, his character, his nature, his will. And then all the rest that lies underneath the sway of the wicked one. Which one are you following? Which one have you went out for? Which one are you, which sake are you living for? Listen, this is not hard stuff. So when you receive them and you show hospitality and you help in what they're doing, you become a co-laborer, a companion in labor. You become a fellow worker, he says there in eight. We therefore ought to receive such that we may become fellow workers for the truth. When you receive them, you help in the truth, Jesus, the message, the gospel, salvation of souls. Receive means also to take aside. 
to receive as a host, to throw in with. So here we see the, the witness, the testimony, the work of one who is in the truth, listening. And then we see verse 9. I wrote to the church. So there's a letter that he wrote that we don't see because uh, Diotrophes, uh, he tore it up, probably. I wrote to the church. We don't have that letter. But Diotrophes, who loves to have the preeminence, he wants to be first. He wants everything to end with him, start with him. He wants to be in control of everything. Among them does not receive us. In other words, he does not take us aside. He does not support us. He is not helping those people. So some uh, a prophet or itinerant preacher was sent with a letter from John saying, here, go to this church and you can speak. And he gets there and Diotrophes says, nope, we ain't listening. We don't, we don't respect the authority of, of John. We're not receiving you as a teacher. We know what we're doing here and you have nothing to do with us because he wants the preeminence. Therefore, if I come, I will call to mind his deeds. There's Ergon. That's his works. When I talk about works, that's it right there. What he's occupied with, his deeds, what he's going to be judged by. I'll call them to mind and help him to remember the, the deeds which he does, prating against us with malicious words and not content with that. He himself does not receive the brethren, and he forbids those who wish to putting them out of the church. In other words, he doesn't just say, no, we don't respect John's authority. No, we're not going to let them. But if you entertain what he's saying, you have to leave the church. So we don't know what church it was. We don't know where it was at. But he wouldn't receive any outside influence from the authority of the church. Obviously, the elder, the only apostle left, writing a letter. And he wants, now listen to me. Listen to me, because this is what's going on in a lot of people's lives. They don't want to hear anything. They're ruling their temple. They don't want any outside interference. They want to be first. They want to be selfish. They want to be safe in what they're doing, feel comfortable in their skin, but they don't let anybody come in from the outside with a letter from the grace of God. They don't let the letter come in, the Word of God come in. Listen to me. Now listen what his name means. His name means... Jove, J-O-V-E, nourished. Jove fed. Yeah, you're doing the same thing I'm doing, unless you're probably smarter than me, which I'm from Kentucky. So I went, who in the world is Jove? And I looked it up. It's Jupiter. Listen to me. Jove is Jupiter. Let me actually read my note. Um. It's Zeus. It's the same as Zeus. They call him Jupiter and Zeus, and Jove is his name uh, who he's talking about. So he's fed by Zeus. He's fed by a false god. He's not being fed by, not being taken care of, not being led by the Spirit of God. Even though he's in the church of God, he's following lies and mythology. And he's being fed by some false god. And that's why he's not listening to the authority of God or those that God puts as elders in his life. That's why he's not listening to the word of God because he would rather listen to Jupiter or Zeus or follow some lie than follow God. Claims he's a Christian, but he's not spirit-led or spirit-fed. 
He wants the preeminence. Look what Colossians says. We're almost done. A lot to chew on for um, Colossians chapter 1. A lot to chew on for Memorial Day for you. 115, talking of Christ. Christ is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions, principalities or powers, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things and in him all things consist. And he is the head of the body, the church, that's us. He's the head of the ecclesia, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he may have the preeminence. Listen, that in all things he may have the preeminence. Jesus said, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men to myself. What's this all about, guys? Ministry of reconciliation of souls. So if a person is first, if the spirit of Antichrist is first, if Zeus is first, Christ is not first, it's not salvation of souls, it's religion. Listen to me, Christ has to be first in your life. Christ has to be first in everything. And this is something you have to practice, because it's really easy just to reach out. It's really easy just to run to those people you've always ran to. It's really easy just to do what you've always did. It's really easy, now that you're, de you're delivered positionally from the, the penalty of sin, to turn around and keep doing it in your own power instead of learning to practice righteousness and surrender to the work of the Holy Spirit, the power of God unto salvation, and keep asking God what to do. So every time you find yourself still handling things the way you've always handled things, still calling the same people you always called, still going to people that have the spirit of Zeus or whoever, stop practicing that evil and start looking to what God says about the situation first. It's really easy just to call somebody. How about pray first? How about say, what does the Word of God say? How about call somebody that knows the Word of God and say, what does the Word of God say about this? And then you can make wise decisions based upon what God thinks. In your own counsel, wage your war. Through the multitude of counselors, wage war. You will fight your own war through the multitude of counselors. Or you can keep living in a dead way, even though you think you're saved. Now listen to me, because it's very important. Titus 1.16 says, I wanted to get to some other texts, but you guys won't let me. Listen, Titus says this, they profess to know God, but in ergon, in works, in deeds, they deny him, being abominable, abominable, disobedient, and disqualified for every good deed, every good work. See, the word of God makes you complete for every good work. The word of God creates evidence, but this person, these people on the island of Crete profess diotrophies. He professes to know God, but really he doesn't know God because his works, his evidence, what's going on in his life, deny that he knows God. Listen to me. It's very important that we understand this. What you're occupied with, how your life is going, what you're walking in, what you're doing, what your master passion is, is going to be the evidence of who your God is, where you're getting your orders from. 
And it might take a while if you're earnestly seeking God to start to live differently. You know, you had all of this stuff you've been sowing. You've been sowing bad seed, and you got crops all the way up here. You got stuff everywhere that's growing. You're like, man, I've been sowing that rebellion and that hate and that lie and all that disaster over here. And so you got all these crops. You're walking around in your own little garden, and then you start to grow God. You're already set free from the penalty, but you're trying to learn to get out of there and cut down some of that and get away from it. And then it takes a while to see the grace of God rise above that. And you begin to see the fruit of righteousness. You begin to see that there's other things to follow and not that same death. But listen, God is not mocked. Whatever you sow, you will reap. If you keep sowing to the wind, you're going to reap the whirlwind. You can't keep sowing the same way. If you've come to salvation, you become a new creation. Now you're sowing differently. You're going differently. You're growing differently. Life has changed. You've been bought with a price. So we can become Gaius's. Practicing righteousness, listening to instruction, receiving the authority that God has given us. Or we can continue to listen to false gods, play religion, and even tell people. See, listen, this is the worst part about the witness of Diotrophes, uh, or ever how you pronounce it. The worst part about his witnesses is he's forbidding others. He's keeping others from getting to God Because he's rejecting that authority. He's rejecting the word of God. And so as his life dies, other people that are following him are following somebody that's, and his malicious words, the malicious words are hurtful, they're evil in effect and influence, but not intrinsically. Listen, this is what I was telling you about earlier. Not intrinsically. But when we see this worthless, oh, wait a minute, where is it? Evil in the next sentence here. Beloved, do not imitate what is evil. That word means what's intrinsically evil. But what is good, he who does good is of God. He who does evil has not seen God. Have you seen God? Listen to me. What are you practicing? What are you imitating? What are you mimicking? The word word in the King James, guess what it is? Follow. In the King James, it says, do not follow what is evil. Don't follow diatrophies. Follow Gaius. Follow Gaius. And I want you to see this in our reading. Oh, I don't know when it was. Five or six days ago. Book of John. Book of John. Is that in the New Testament? Uh, John. Oh, my goodness. What was it? John 6.40. Listen to this. 6.40. I wanted to read more. You can go read it if you're not reading through it with us. Listen to this. And this is the will of him, the Father, who sent Jesus, me, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Wait a minute. What did I say? What did I say? Listen, look over here. Because if you continue to practice or continue to do the evil, you have not seen God. That's what he says over here. He who does good is of God. He who does the evil has not seen God. What does God want us to do? 640. 
Everyone who sees and believes. The word means to uh, um, discern clearly. In a Hebraism, it means to experience God. Listen, if you can experience God, if you can see God clearly, if you you believe in God, listen, you're not going to keep wanting to do evil. The Holy Spirit comes in and convicts you and wants you and leads you another direction and walks you away from and shows you you don't have to follow death. You don't have to follow the power of sin, that you're now underneath the Holy Spirit. You receive power to walk a different way, to go a different direction, to change your mind. You don't have to mimic or follow what is evil anymore because your eyes have been opened. You were once blind, but now you see. And then he moves to another subject, which almost can seem strange, Demetrius. Demetrius has a good testimony from all. Well, why are we talking about Demetrius for? I think Demetrius delivered the letter. See, somebody would deliver the letter. Somebody would be coming. Demetrius might be the one getting ready to speak at their church that morning. And he comes with this letter and and he brings it to Gaius because of the testimony of Gaius because he can't take it to Diotrophes because he won't let him in the church because he keeps turning people away. And so I think Demetrius is bringing this letter. Demetrius is really strange too, though, because it means belonging to Ceres. You know, like Ceres Solutions, C-E-R-E-S, same word. Belonging to Ceres, and again, I'm not very smart, so I have to look this stuff up. And in mythology, listen to me, the inventor or goddess of corn, corn deified. That's what Ceres Solutions means, corn deified. Talk about high fructose, corn syrup, deified. They put it in everything. They make carpet out of it. You guys don't know this stuff. Carpet is made out of the, the, the byproduct from high fructose corn syrup. That's crazy. It's deified all right. I was just like freaked out. But listen, listen. He's no longer, Demetrius is no longer following the, the goddess of corn. And we see his testimony has changed. So you got one guy who's, who's doing great. You got one guy who says he's doing good, but he's still following Zeus. And now you got another guy that has a name. He's like, he was following Ceres, the goddess of corn. He was corn deified. But wait a minute, our witness and the witness that's there is he's got a good martyreo also. He's being a witness for Christ also. And he got it from the truth itself. He didn't get it from somebody else. The world didn't give it to him. They can't take it. He got it from truth itself, incarnate, Jesus Christ. That's where you get your testimony from. Oh, my goodness. And we also bear witness, and we've seen it, so we're bearing witness too, martyreo. And you know that our martyreo is true, is what he's saying. The evidence we give, the testimony we give. The, the, listen to me. What is your testimony? What is your witness? Who are you serving? Are you striving to become like Gaius through the work of the Holy Spirit as you get concerned about souls and obeying God? Or did you just say a prayer and you're still getting your feed from Zeus, from the world, from the lie, from the confusion?
John says again, closing about the same way he did uh, the small letter in two. I had many things to write, but I did not wish to write to you with pen and ink. But I hope to see you shortly and we shall speak face to face. Peace to you. Our friends greet you. Greet the friends by name. Hear that? He wants you to be so personal with people that you know their names. You know how I remember names? Listen to me. I'm not trying to point at me in no way, shape, or form. You know how I remember names? I pray for them. I pray for them. Listen to me. I'm not pointing at my prayer life, but if you want to remember somebody's name, start praying for them. Sometimes when I see somebody, I have to stop and go to my list in my head and go, oh, that's who that is, because I pray for them. When you pray for somebody, you're using their name every day. You're using their name all the time. And if you can't remember their name, write it on a piece of paper. The gospel is relational. You know what the number one thing you want to hear is that people say is your name. I mean, you're going, somebody say my name all the time. You go, is that me? And it's no fun if there's two Gregs in the room because when they say Greg, they might not be talking about me. It ain't no fun. They called somebody else. We want to hear our name. People want to know their name, and your name means something. Whose name are you living for? Jesus knows your name. He's going to give you a new name. He's going to give you a new name. You know how he gave Peter one? Gave Peter a new name. He's going to give you one. And it's going to be according to your deeds. It's going to be according to your ergon. It's going to be according to your reward. Listen, I believe that John was getting ready to travel to this place because he was going to remind Diotrephes. I got it, Diotrephes. See, you practice, you get it. Diotrephes, say it again, Diotrephes. Dude, dude serving Zeus, being fed by Zeus. Diotrephes, he's going to go remind him because he's not going to let him keep stumbling people. He's going to call him out. And if Diotrephes doubles down, and doesn't want to hear it, he might kick him out of the church. Because when people double down in their sin, they need to leave the church. If you don't want to deal with your sin, you're infecting the rest of the church. And that's why the church in America has so little, so little influence anymore. Because we live in perilous times, a reduction of strength, because we ignore the authority of God's word. We ignore the word of God. We ignore the person of God and the relationship with God. And we're getting our orders from Zeus. What is your witness? What would they write about you? What would you write about you? What's your focus? Listen, we're saved by grace through faith. It's not of ourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. But we are still his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works that we should walk in them. We should be occupied with them. We should peripateo in them. That should be our general lifestyle. When we come to salvation, new creations, new power, new home, new hope, new life, new desires, renewing of the mind. Father, thank you. We again thank you for all the saints that went before us. We thank you for John who would pen a letter and we could read over Gaius' shoulder 
the content and down the corridor of time receive instruction in how we should thus live to be a good witness for Christ. Pour out your spirit, Lord. Give us a desire uh, to turn our hearts toward home, to come to our senses and to cry out to you because we know that you will provide for all of our needs according to your riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Thank you for such a great salvation, Lord. May we receive it and walk it out and share it with others. We give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. The Lord bless you. And that concludes today's message on Who Am I? with Pastor Greg Tyra of Harvest Chapel in Williamsport, Indiana. If you're in the area, we would love to have you as our guest. Harvest Chapel is located at 418 Old State Road 28, Williamsport, Indiana 47993. We meet for worship on Sundays at 10 a.m. Our prayer meetings meet Wednesdays at 6.30 p.m. Our Bible study meets on Friday at 7 p.m. Today's and previous messages are available on CD. If you would like a copy, please call 765-404-7203. We look forward to seeing you again next time on Who Am I? Whom shall I fear? Whom shall I fear? Because I